This is Noah Kadner, and you're listening to the Virtual Production Podcast. If there's a poster child for virtual production in 2020, it's Matt Workman. He's a well-known YouTube streamer, continually sharing his forays into all aspects of virtual production with the community. Workman is also associated with Epic Games and Unreal Engine, both as the developer of Cinetracer, a cinematographic visualization app, and the director of photography of Epic's first in-camera visual effects demonstration. Workman got into the business in a roundabout way through his love of video games. I was really into video games like StarCraft, and I really wanted to make like StarCraft cinematics. It's like aliens running around and shooting stuff and starship troopers, and I really wanted to do that. But at the time, computers very, very slow. Painfully slow. I think I had even a great one. Like my parents got me a computer. They bought me 3D Max in a blue box, but it was still just like painful, like really bad. The internet wasn't as bountiful back then on like career advice. So I went into computer science and learned just general programming like C and Java, then did electrical engineering. And overall, I hated the whole thing a lot. I really wanted to be creative. And I just did computer science because I was like, oh, this must be like how you get into video games. And it's, it, I mean, it kind of is, but I was really more on the art side. Ultimately, Workman moved to New York City to try and make a living in the visual effects and animation business. I worked at Curious Pictures as an intern. They're no longer in business, I believe. They were like the biggest stop motion house in New York. A lot of like Nickelodeon shows and whatnot were being produced. The Barbie CG show was there, so they had a mocap stage, people in suits walking around and puppeting Barbie. And then at the same time, they had motion control cranes floating through this huge stage. And so that kind of flipped the switch for me. And I was like, okay, this live action part of this is really what I was going after. So with a bit of a computer background, I kind of started to work in on-set VFX, so shadowed visual effects supervisors, but then really decided, I was like, even this is a little bit too cumbersome for me. Workman next tried his hand as an indie cinematographer, picking up jobs shooting low and no-budget music videos. Just like random Craigslist, Mandy.com, you know, internet, what have you projects. So a lot of music videos. And I actually met a lot of people. I was from Boston and living in Boston. So shooting like all the Boston hip hop music videos for like a couple of years, I shot all of them. It was like 50. It was a lot. I was like the only person doing it. And then from there, I shot hundreds and hundreds of commercials for Viacom. Very lucky, very fortunate, very hungry also and desperate to just shoot anything. And I uh, did that enough until I got into like proper commercials, proper music videos. One of the first big ones we did was for Diddy, like P. Diddy, Puff, I don't know, I forget his name at this point. As DSLR cameras began to enter the mainstream, Workman found he could offer high production value at a fraction of the cost of other crews working with more traditional film-based workflows by using cameras like the Canon 5D. The 5D had no manual exposure. You had to trick the lens into uh, staying in, in a, at a certain aperture. It would just auto-expose because they didn't really want video on the SLRs. It was just like a joke feature that you know, they didn't think of. So we were very early with that. We were also very, you know, coming from DVX100 and lens adapters and very slow cameras like sensitivity, we were like, oh, we were all over DSLRs. It was good. I've shot for like Justin Bieber and, and 50 Cent. 
more like their indie music video projects, kind of doing like the B music videos and a lot of content, right? It was like the beginning of content, still for on air though. So not exactly the content we know as today, but it was kind of like the content that would go out, you know, on the network. So I've worked with all the artists of that era. They just funneled through MTV and we just shot like films like everybody. Workman ended up finding early success as a freelancer for MTV and its parent company, Viacom, in New York. The interesting thing at Viacom at the time, 1515 Broadway, was that they had an entire floor of staff directors and then another floor of staff producers. So it was really good for me because I'm not, you know, I was not very experienced at the time. So they gave us like itty bitty budgets, but they were like, here's a 7D, go chase like the Burger King guy and the mascot around Cancun, Mexico. Or was it Cancun? Where was it? I forget. Um, they're like, just go shoot some stuff and you know, shoot B-roll of people at spring break and we'll cut something together. It's MTV Spring Break, and the king has arrived. I look back at it now, I was like, I don't think that job exists anymore. So that was a very unique experience. Workman ultimately discovered ways to maximize budget with new technology, skills that would serve him well later. There's parallels to the way that I do virtual production now. Back then, say you had 40000 to go shoot a 30 with a 15 bumper, you know, uh, something like that. It's like, Back then, it was like a big broadcast camera, right? And a sound guy, you know, and it's still the right way to do it. But you wouldn't really be able to have like a dolly. And back then, it's like if you were shooting like the A commercial, you were shooting on 35 millimeter film. That's, that's like a $200,000, $300,000 for like a 30 second commercial on film with a crew and loaders and the whole union. That's how everything was being produced still. Like the indie digital thing hadn't really ticked over yet. Now it's like A7S and one person, it's got like amazing. But back then, just getting normal, good looking HD footage was really challenging. So like I bought all the equipment from Abel, shout out Abel Cinetech. I spent 10 grand on DSLR equipment in a box and I did everything. I loaded it myself. I downloaded the footage. They'd be editing it there on set. That was revolutionary at the time. People weren't doing that. Workman sees a through line from the innovative ways he was able to use filmmaking technology to break into established production paradigms with where he's working in virtual production today. I think with virtual production now, like with what I do in my basement, to do this level of visual effects before, it's like millions of dollars in studio systems. But I figured I was like, like $50,000 of equipment and like an okay camera and Unreal Engine is free. And I'm putting up pretty cool stuff. I think that virtual production is a similar thing. I've been like maybe a little bit ahead of some people on the indie side, but I think it's going to just again, tick over and it's like, yeah, anyone's going to be able to do like this type of uh, live visual effects. For Workman, the key to unlocking virtual production was Unreal Engine. He realized it combined aspects of what he loved about cinematography and video games, along with his training in programming. So the very first time I heard of Unreal Engine was FX PhD, so Mike Seymour's educational platform. Hi, I'm Mike Seymour, and welcome to this FX PhD special look at the Unreal Engine. In particular, uh, some stuff we did in a research project last summer. I'm Mike Seymour. And so I had already been doing previs using Maya, and I was just looking to kind of spread the word. And so I made a course on how to do previs for a commercial. That's what I was doing at the time in Maya. In this video, I'm going to show you how to use my new Camera Tools previs script. And then at the end, I'm going to show you a quick demo of how I use it. And at the same time, that same semester, there was someone else there teaching UDK3, which is Unreal Engine 3. They were like, oh, well, here's how you do previs in Unreal Engine. And I was like, you can do previs in Unreal Engine? Like, what? And I think right around that point, not too long after the GDC demo came out with the Star Wars Stormtroopers in the elevator. If you ask me, who's ever in charge of this place should be transferred to Hoth. 
And they unleashed onto the world, it's like real-time ray tracing. And everything is, of course, uh, rendering real-time and fully dynamic. I don't think it had ever been said before in like a, this is going to come out kind of way. And at that point, I was like, okay, I'm sold. As he investigated Unreal's capabilities, Workman realized a new filmmaking revolution was about to happen. I was like, when this actually hits, and like a lot of people can have this, like say you have like an NVIDIA 3080 and Unreal Engine 5, it's like on your computer, you're gonna be able to do real-time lighting and filmmaking that used to take weeks of rendering. You'll just do it like you're filming with your phone. And I kind of saw that and I like dug in. I was like, okay, it's time to time to learn this. Workman channeled his energy into becoming an Unreal developer by making tools that would complement his cinematography efforts. He ultimately created Cinetracer, a cinematography planning and visualization app. So when I was a cinematographer in New York, I was doing a lot of heavy visual effects commercials. And there's a lot of planning, like months of planning sometimes, depending on who's involved. And then you shoot for two days, right? So there's this heavy focus on previs and making sure the client likes it beforehand before you build the $100,000 set, etc. So I started doing 3D myself. Then I got into Maya, started building my own 3D tools that like DPs would need. That was a fun business to run. And then when Epic Games contacted me, the idea was for me to build tools for the editor, which I'm still trying to get to, but it takes a little while to learn how to program proper virtual production tools. It's very hard. I only know two other people in the world that know how to do it. So I was like, hey, how about I just build a video game first and I'll learn Unreal Engine and that has become Cinetracer. So like all the virtual camera things I've learned, how do you make like virtual dollies and virtual C-stands and make people walk around so it's easy for users to make storyboards and whatnot. That all came from that. It's not necessarily about the quality of the tool anymore. It's more like, what are you going to do with it? People do crazy things with their phone. Multi-millionaires many times over just with an iPhone. So I look at that. It's like, well, what about a Vive tracker and your A7S, any virtual set you want? And we already see that with VR chat and the kind of machine with filmmakers who have taken over. I was like, they do very well. I can tell something's going to go terribly wrong. (laughs) Some of them, the top ones. It's like, so like, this is already the beginning of what I consider the virtual production revolution. It's really kind of the VR machinima revolution. Like there's already millionaires off of people who play Minecraft and do voices in it or Roblox and then sell their own Roblox. But it's like, these people are making a killing, like a super killing right now. So I, I'm also very interested in that, you know, which is why I focus on like sort of consumer level tools. It was like those people could afford VR system in Cinetracer, but that type of change in distribution and economics in filmmaking is very interesting to me. Workman's timing getting into the developer arena was ideal, as the team at Epic Games was also seeking filmmakers interested in Unreal as a production tool. Encouraged by this, Workman went to California to network and show off his development work with Cinetracer. I paid for my flight out there and I had a couple meetings with Epic Games and I got to meet Kim Library and Miles Perkins and a whole bunch of like kind of key people in the virtual production side of Unreal Engine and presented Cinetracer and we just got to meet and hang out. I think it was fairly unique for Epic to find someone who's from the film industry who also can program the engine and programs it a lot. <laughs> like every day of my life for like years I've been doing it. So I got to meet everyone in person and I went to all the parties, which I'm awkward at parties, but I met everyone. Ultimately, Epic invited Workman to be the cinematographer for a demonstration stage in Los Angeles during the SIGGRAPH conference in the summer of 2019. 
The stage was intended to demonstrate the technology and in-camera visual effects workflows created for the Star Wars streaming series, The Mandalorian. For more details about this stage, please listen to our episode with Miles Perkins. So they told me a little bit about it, but Mandalorian hadn't come out yet. No one knew about it except for the Mandalorian team, who were the people on that demo. They set everything up. So Phil Galler from Lux Machina and, and Matt Madden from Profile, like they had just gotten off of Mandalorian. So I think for them, it was like probably pretty straightforward to get it up and running, having done a much bigger version before. And for me, on, on my part, I just kind of came in and consulted on like, hey, what camera should we use? What lens, given the parameters of the shoot? We filmed a lot of videos and content, but we also did, I think, a hundred live performances of that demo to all the studios around the world, essentially. Epic invited representatives from a cross-section of movie studios and visual effects houses to see the stage, which showed off an LED wall showing material live from Unreal Engine synchronized to a live camera for in-camera visual effects. And all the decision makers came and saw it in person. And so we showed that to them a hundred times, like to various groups. And then I operated the camera and then helped also just be one of the creatives. Uh, I guess technically I was the director of it, but that doesn't, that doesn't mean it's done, I think. But just trying to like find the shots that really show it off the best. The visual effects people, like, so we, without naming names, showed it to every single visual effects studio in the world, which is a great network opportunity. Um, they got it immediately. Like if you've been following the evolution from like Oblivion and the LED walls and whatnot, and people have been using LED walls for process car shots for a while, to see it fully put together, I think they got it. It made like perfect sense. And then the question really became for them, what can we do now with it though? Where in the pipeline can this fit? So that was a very common like professional response to it. Anyone who was coming from outside VFX, it was just like, wow. Workman leveraged his following as a YouTube streamer to gauge the reaction to the technology beyond Hollywood. I posted a little snippet clip on my YouTube channel of the demo, and it got 3 million views. We can track a camera's position in space in real time and render its perspective so that we can compellingly convince a camera that something else is happening in front of it that really isn't there. That kind of also shows that to the general public, it's like, wow, like this is pretty awesome. And then Mandalorian drops and it's like doubly well, like, holy crap. Workman took the initiative a step further by starting virtual production communities on social media. I started this kind of virtual production group just to get away from the game developers because like they didn't really understand. They're like, what are you doing with these cameras? And like, you know, they, they, they're making video games. So I was like, I need a different place to be able to talk to people. And it started with 10 people. On Facebook, I just put it on Twitter. I was like, hey, I'm starting this Facebook group because I want to talk about this kind of stuff. And then it blew up and now it's about 26,000 people. And anytime I go back to Facebook, there's like 100 to 200, 300 requests to join. So the interest is still there. I'm not the one answering the questions that I funnel everyone into that group. Workman was ultimately able to make a career combining the aspects he loved most about cinematography, gaming, and social media. I could hire two people probably, but I just don't want to. It's just simply to not. So Cinetracer alone at scale is quite profitable. You know, software is great. And I knew, I kind of grasped onto that early. If a thousand people decide to buy it that day, I don't have to ship them anything. They just get it. Taking what you know and making some sort of like helpful or, or fun thing in a game engine and distributing it on Epic Games Store or Steam or the Apple App Store, you could do extremely well. And it is a 100% viable business. And like the early days of the platforms are always kind of like 
sort of the golden. Like I was talking with someone about early days of when the iPhone first came out. You make an app that like you touch an icon and it like farts. Millionaire. Um, once again, simple interface, very easy to use. Final rating will be a eight out of ten, I guess. I know the stories. I've worked with some of the people who have done that, like early, like pre Zynga, before those kind of games were really big. I know, I know people that have done very well off of like ridiculously simple things. So it, it's possible. I think the distribution has really changed it quite a bit. It's kind of like, can you be a famous actor with just your iPhone in the middle of nowhere? It's like, if you have the internet, you sure as hell can. As a successful streamer and Unreal developer, Matt Workman is uniquely qualified to understand the online world and its relation to the explosion in virtual production. I think we're looking, especially now in, in COVID and lockdown, people are looking for communities, remote communities, and gaming provides that. I did Twitch for a year, every single day, pretty much, almost every single day, to kind of learn the gaming space because I was coming from film. You know, high-end virtual production is here. I mean, there's just no question. We're going to be seeing a lot of LED wall movies and whatnot, and that's pretty straightforward. I think it's just converting the pipelines to be very pre-production heavy to get the assets in there. And so you'll see like a growing percentage, maybe like 10% of a movie, 20% of a movie, a lot of it is going to be done on LED walls. For the broadcast side of things, because I interact with that world a lot, it's going to be a while before we see like an in-person conference. Like any product announced, anything that was a conference is probably going to end up being a green screen virtual production of some sort to get people who are in different locations all in the same quote-unquote room together and whatnot and, and get away from it being like Zoom call conferences. So we're going to see a lot of green screen and LED wall virtual production and broadcast for news and for a lot of conferences. I hope I'm one of the people that makes it possible from like an education point of view or just from building the tools that you'll see virtual production being done by anyone who wants to. I know for a fact that this is happening. And then on the indie side, that's really where I like to be. I, you know, I, I want to go make stuff for people. been listening to the virtual production podcast thanks again to our guest matt workman for joining us this episode was written and hosted by me noah kadner this episode was edited and mixed by Corey abel the virtual production podcast is a co-production of the virtual company and abel cine we love virtual production and would also love to work with you so please visit our websites and drop us a line if we can help you can find us at ablecine.com and thevirtual.co. This podcast also wouldn't be possible without Descript, the most fun you'll ever have editing audio as text. Try it now at descript.com. Please also let us know if there's a subject or a guest you want us to have on the show. And if you like what you heard today, please consider giving us a five-star review, subscribing, and telling all your friends about us. Thanks again and see you next time.